Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. It wouldn't require a very smart AI to throw society into disarray. We don't need to fear a machine that's smarter than us. We need to fear one person leveraging a moderately intelligent AI. Using an AI to make a horror film may not be such a great idea. A quote by Ed Cruz. In an orderly living room, Maggie lives streams with her sister. I won't say I can't talk to mom and dad about it. Maggie paces back and forth. Her blonde hair bounces and she holds one finger in the air. On the TV above the fireplace, Sarah slumps, wearing a faded track sweatshirt. I already know you're going to tell me not to go, but grandma went to college and she makes it sound like the happiest time in her life. Maggie stops and faces the TV. Even though you're not married yet, you need to start being the ideal wife. If you take simple steps you'll have opportunities that you most likely will miss otherwise. To catch the attention of the best husband, this is the most important time in your life. Most of what they teach you in college is woke propaganda, anyway, even at the Christian schools. Sarah rears back her head. Going to college won't lessen my relationship with God. I'm not talking about that. We all know a wife's most sacred role is to have children. Do you want people to think you aren't serious about God's plan? To Maggie's satisfaction, Sarah's face turns red, and her eyes well up with tears. But I do want to have children. I know that but your soon-to-be husband doesn't know you yet. You need to show people you are ready. Going to college throws a barrier up. Going to college is a little bit like cheating on your husband and future children. Sarah hides a pained gasp that comes across the live stream. Maggie doesn't let her satisfaction show. Think things through. Pray about it. Look for answers in the Bible. After she says her goodbyes and ends the stream, she finishes her chores with a happy vigor. There's nothing in the Bible about young women going to college. How preposterous would that be? That would go against everything the Bible is about. It is fun to torment Sarah, especially for a good cause. Years from now at family gatherings, Sarah will praise Maggie for offering guidance. By then Sarah will be much plumper than Maggie, but happy. And Sarah will turn to her plump husband and say, I owe it all to Maggie. Maggie settles in the living room. Goggle, turn on Vic's news. Jeannie Judge, a newscaster, appears on the large screen. This is the liberals' version of yelling fire in a crowded theater. The supposed media weapon, they caused it or made the whole thing up, and now they want to shackle us with emergency measures. Liberals want to scare us in order to control us. It's just like claims of climate change, used as an excuse to tax more. Maggie's three kids come in, ages 7, 8, and 13. Maggie waves from the couch. Hi, 
guys. Amy, the youngest, joins her mother on the couch. Jeff and Tim go to the kitchen. From the kitchen, Tim calls out. Can I go to my room? Maggie says, no, all of you can play in the living room until your dad gets home. The newscaster continues. There's been a lot of talk lately about sin causing mental illness and yet for some reason, the news media won't talk about what role sin played in the media weapon attacks. The boys come into the living room. Jeff, the tough one, wipes his mouth with his arm. All three start playing on their foldables. Maggie leans toward Tim, the oldest and tall for his age. What are you doing? Without looking up Tim says, playing a game. Okay. Her brow furrows briefly. The family is on the best internet curating, family plan so she has nothing to worry about. She just wants him to know that she has her eye on him. Amy jumps off the couch. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. After dinner, mother and daughter walk with Jenny and Tammy down the warm suburban sidewalk. Sprinklers switch on. The blue sky appears bleached by the sun. A shipping blimp passes high above, massive and silent. All four wear dresses, though Amy had to change into hers before this walk. She holds Maggie's hand. The three grown-ups clutch Bibles to their chests. Maggie gives Tammy a sidelong smile as Jenny does most of the talking. One of my clients is going to hospice. I took care of him for seven years. A lot of people turn to God, you know, near the end, so I hoped he'd take one of our gift Bibles. I left one in his room in the morning, but after they moved him, I found it still on the nightstand. A giantess delivery cart whizzes past them. When it reaches some steps that lead up to a front door, its wheels extend into legs, and it walks. The prefab houses of 2042 aren't hopelessly alike. Called mini McMansions by people who don't love them, each house can convey grandness and still be affordable. Combining columns, faux brick, mixed roof styles, and faux multi-pane windows, no two houses look alike and yet no house stands out as an oddball which is a blessing in the community of blessings. The four walk up to a front door. Maggie lets Amy's hand go and knocks. A woman with a quiff haircut and a poker face answers the door. Ladies. Maggie pulls a pamphlet from between the pages of her Bible and presents it. I hope we came at a good time. This has the time and address of our women's Bible study group. Amy hides behind her mother when the woman looks down. This is the third time this month you've asked me, this is boarding on harassment. Maggie continues to hold the paper out. Wendy, can I call you Wendy, we're reaching out in our neighborhood. It's what people here do. The woman breathes in slowly. No thank you. She offers them the hint of a polite smile. Maggie's eyes blaze. I'd like to talk woman to woman. The door closes, folding the pamphlet in Maggie's grasp. As the four walk back the way they came, Amy insists on taking her mother's hand and feels it trembling. She looks up, confused to see her mother smiling. Mom, why is that the only house we visit? Sue Ann's mom doesn't go to Bible study. Maggie doesn't answer for at least a minute. 
but she does go to church. And she does belong to this community. Jenny says, Wendy's the new doctor at the care center. Doctors are hard to come by. Maggie says, well if she's a doctor, I'm sure she can afford to live in Riverside. In church, the family sits lined up on chairs, the father Jack, Amy, Maggie, Jeff, then Tim, who looks at his hands like he wishes a foldable were there. Jack used to be outdoorsy but now most would guess correctly that he works behind a desk. Backlit stained glass glows serenely along the walls. Most seats are taken. Families often wear similar colors, amplifying the spectacle of big families. Jack wears a purple tie and shirt. Amy and Maggie wear purple dresses and Jeff and Tim wear purple dress shirts. Pastor Zachary, pretty buff for his age, marches back and forth on the pulpit. You're going to hear a lot of confusing and contradicting claims in the coming weeks. Remember, that's what Satan does. He confuses you and causes you to lose focus on your faith. Anyone living in this worldly world may become the tool he uses to spread confusion. The pastor stops and a theater-sized screen lights up behind him. A clip of Don Santi on Vic's news plays. Secularists want to use the media attack politically and tell you not to watch your TV because commercials aren't safe. Sound familiar? They want to take away your freedom. The woke left don't want you to choose where you get your information from. They're going to use this unfortunate event to push their agenda. First, they wanted to vaccinate our kids, now they want to vaccinate our TV programs. They don't want you informed. Do they think we will be fooled by their cheap political stunt? The screen fades out. The congregation claps. Pastor Zachary claps. Santi sums it up so well. Secularists are fired up with a new culture campaign. They want everyone to turn off their TV. A second clip of Santi plays. The left wants emergency drugs for the general population. They're demanding of news outlets to continue to air without running commercials. That smacks of anti-capitalism to me. No surprise that they want to issue new laws and regulations for advertisements to restrict ad play in schools and other public places. This is typical liberal scare tactics. This is just more fake news, playing politics because they want more control of the media. The congregation claps. The pastor holds his arms out. People of God, Satan is out there stirring up all kinds of illusions. Hold fast to your faith. If it feels like your freedom is compromised, don't believe the hype. Tim still looks at his hands, focused on pretending he can see a foldable there. Maggie reaches across Jeff to smack his hands. Jack sits eating a sandwich outside the office building where he works. His favorite concrete bench overlooks real mansions, where retirees live. A bunch of golf carts parked outside one of the mansions tells him some old folks are having a party inside. Footsteps come up on his left. There's the man. Jack looks up at Lewis, his co-worker. How are you doing? Lewis, always a little jumpy, has his foldable out. Not bad. Have you heard you can install ad-blocking software on your devices now? Jack shakes his head. No, 
The three major carriers are letting customers do it, for now. Jack looks down the street. We have curated internet, so we're safe. That software is probably malware. Lewis puts his foldable away. Yeah, you're probably right. When he gets home, Maggie meets him at the door. Vic's news is on. He follows her into the living room. Where are the kids? Jeff and Amy are in their rooms. I think Tim is in the garage. Jack feels nervous. Why is that? Maggie looks past him. I think something happened. I think they saw that thing on TV. What? That's impossible. What station was it on? She points at the TV. I had it on Vic's news. Instead of the early evening anchor, a young guy wearing a cheap suit speaks. This may be a hoax. A group like Anonymous could have organized thousands of prank callers to call in and say that Vic's news aired a media attack. He frowns and keeps glancing away from the camera. Jack goes into Amy's room. Sweetie, are you okay? She lies on her bed over the covers, clutching the blanket and shaking her head back and forth. He slowly steps closer. Sweetie. She breathes rapidly and grimaces. I think I saw Satan. She shakes and tears gush from her eyes. He backs up. Hold tight, sweetie. In the boy's room, Jeff crouches against the wall trembling. The room smells of excrement. Jack turns on the light. Jeffy, you okay bud? Jeff buries his face in his hands. Jack says, I'll be right back. Vic's news plays in the living room, while you still can, check out these great deals on Silver Shield trucks. With all-wheel drive. These trucks are made for independent men who work hard and play hard. Show them who's in charge. In the garage, Tim paces back and forth between the drill press and table saw. He scowls and glares with bloodshot eyes. Tim, come back inside, Jack calls through the house. Maggie, where are you? I need your help now. Maggie helps Jeff clean up. Jack turns off the TV and all five kneel in the living room, forming a prayer circle. Jack leads, Father, I know you can help my family through this. Show us mercy tonight. The kids shake and cry. Maggie's eyes are done dry, and she doesn't seem to notice. She looks at each of her kids like she doesn't quite recognize them. Jack must pull his hand from Tim's to wipe his face. This is exactly the sort of thing prayer is made for. Surely it must help. They all lurch when a gun goes off outside. Everyone stays in the living room. Amy lies on the couch with her eyes closed, but Jack can't tell if she sleeps. Jeff can't sleep. He keeps crying as Maggie strokes his head. Sirens beckon from near and far. Sometimes a gunshot punches the night. For the third time, Tim gets up and goes to the garage. This time Jack remains seated on the floor. Without opening her eyes Amy asks, is Satan coming in? Is he still outside? 
Jack says, there's no man outside. He meets eyes with Maggie. Goggle turn on the news at low volume. The TV comes on. The attack has gone wide. It's now targeting Christians, black populations, Maltese, and Asian populations. There's even a Spanish version targeting Latinos. Carrier commercials include ads for diapers, fitness, movies, cosmetics, and lawyer services. These are just the ones that have been tracked down so far. An ad for a VR game, known to appeal to military audiences, has released a media attack. Military hospitals are flooded right now. Jack watches Maggie stare at the TV. When she watches a screen, it's the only time she gets that expression like an innocent child. There are times when he hands her a funny video on a foldable just to see that look on her face. He jumps to his feet as a gun goes off. It must have been fired on their lawn. The loudness of the TV seems to get chopped in half and a sound like someone pulling their finger over the lip of a wine glass plays in his head. Amy and Jeff cover their ears. Maggie stands. Did she just smile? Jack runs to the garage. Tim stands in there in the dark, both hands on the table saw like he's about to climb up on it. With a huge flush of relief, Jack says as calmly as possible, Tim, come back into the living room. Jack says, everyone, stay in the living room. He goes through the house turning off the lights. Upstairs in his and Maggie's bedroom, he peeks through a window and makes out what must be a body lying in the front yard. He moves the nightstand away from the wall, scans his finger on a safe built into the back, grabs his pistol from inside the safe, tucks the pistol into the back of his pants waistband, and goes back downstairs. Jeff is saying, now I know God is real because Satan is real. Normally Jack would tell him to hush the nonsense. Instead, he says, goggle, turn off the TV. An hour passes. Mother has Amy on her lap and father holds Jeff. Tim gets up and walks out of the living room. Jack says, where are you going? No answer. He finds Tim in the kitchen. The pantry is open and Tim has the rifle that Jack keeps hidden there. Tim, what are you doing with that? Put that down. Tim says, it isn't right. I know Tim. Put that down and go back into the living room. I'll be there in a minute. Tim walks away leaving the pantry door open. Jack says, put the gun down, son. Tim lays the riffle on the tile floor and walks out. Meanwhile, in the living room, Jeff says, now we can tell Pastor Zachary that God is real. Maggie tiredly says, God is real. That's what I said. Maggie rests all the weight of her head in her hand. But when you say it like that you make it sound like you don't think he's real. Jeff tries to smile. All that matters is that we believe he's there, isn't that right mommy? He doesn't have to be there. What matters is that we think he is. She says nothing. Mommy. Upstairs, Jack pulls the attic ladder down from the hall ceiling and climbs up. He crawls into the attic, pushes some boxes over, 
and lays the riffle on loose boards. When a gun goes off downstairs, he nearly falls off the ladder. Rushing and stumbling, dark walls spin around him while a numbness sinks to the center of his brain. Mother holds Amy. Jeff sits slumped, bleeding from his upper leg. The pistol lies on the floor smoking. Maggie says, he was aiming it at Amy. I got the gun away from him. Jack demands, where is he? Maggie points at the wide open front door. Fresh air pours in like a cold blanket unrolling. Jack runs out the front door. Dan, his neighbor, lies face down on the lawn. Jack runs first toward 12th Street and then back to 11th Street, but Tim is nowhere in sight. Sandra the neighbor across the street stands in her yard leaning forward like she might run toward Jack, but she spins around and runs into her house. On the following weekend, Jack sits in the living room. One of the less opinionated newscasters talks. The military is getting on planes and coming home. Too many are affected. Everyone the world over feels different about how the war may turn out. A new drug is being developed, made specifically to counteract loss, limbic overload syndrome, so that our military can rejoin the fight. Our nation has never been this vulnerable. The world knows our military is down. Jack watches but his eyes are dead. A plate of food sits cold next to him. Once in a while, he utters a heartbroken moan. His phone is ringing. It's work. It must be working. They've called him every day begging him to come in. In a couple of weeks, Jack is at work, on the concrete bench talking by phone. I won't have it, Maggie. The liberals are all putting their kids on Pexin. It's a narcotic, Maggie. Across the street an officer walks around a mansion, knocking on windows. Of course, they say it's safe. He's surprised by the tears that bite as they pool on his lower eyelids. But it's not just a compromise. It goes against everything we believe. My mother asked God to care for her in her sickness and I'll do the same. On a Saturday morning, Maggie gets up and heads for the kitchen. Jack sits in the living room watching the news, President Hunt may have been secretly moved from the White House. A crowd gathers outside to protest the Urgent Response Act. Critics say the act gives the president too much power. Clinics across the nation are distributing Pexin. Soldiers who are on Pexin are preparing to return to the East. Many civilians who self-medicated at the beginning of the crisis are now addicted to street drugs. Pexin can help with loss but is not designed to help with addiction. Starting next week all commercials will come with new safety features. The second a commercial deviates from its intended images and sounds, software will stop and quarantine it. Maggie makes breakfast. She first takes a plate of scrambled eggs to Amy who sits on the floor in her room facing a wall. Maggie walks on her knees toward Amy and places the plate of food down. Honey, are you hungry? I made you breakfast. Amy looks up like she isn't sure where she is. She does allow Maggie to feed her. When she brings food to Jeff, she finds him in his bed groaning in pain. He won't eat. 
A sweat breaks out on her forehead as she pulls back the bandage on his leg to check for infection. God willing, today when she calls, the hospital will say there's room enough to bring him. Jeff's eyes pop open and he sits up. Maggie takes his arms, what is it? His voice sounds raspy. I hear it. It's in the walls. I can hear it. Shush honey. Try to rest. Please try to eat. He grows more agitated. No no. It's here. I hear it. She hugs him hard until he calms down. When she lets go he lies on the bed and curls up. She brushes her hand across his forehead until he appears to sleep, then she slowly gets up. Call me if you need anything. I'll leave the food here. Closing the door behind her, she turns the key in the lock. She walks down the hall to the living room. Jack, would you like breakfast? Jack. Jack is rolling on the floor. She runs up to him. What happened? He struggles to breathe, bares his teeth, and kicks the couch making it fly several feet. By the spring, Vix News airs live commercials only, like in the olden days. Maggie, Jeff, and Amy sit in church. With Pexen, the kids are doing much better. It seems to return them to normal. There are no side effects as far as Maggie can tell. Amy still has nightmares almost nightly but that's nothing compared to the waking nightmare she was stuck in before. The church is only about one-third full. Eduardo, who never preached for the congregation before, has taken over for now. His wife sometimes helps him lead the service. There must be others taking Pexen, but no one fesses up. The church hasn't given a hard no to medicating. In a setting where most issues get vocalized, not talking about Pexen makes it hard for Maggie to focus. Needing work now that Jack has disappeared, she joins the municipal efforts to respond to suicides and mental health crisis. Goggle maps can pinpoint loud noises. The response team can use the tech to see where gunfire has gone off. Because street drugs are hard to get in this area, a lot of the affected are in states of permanent panic when she finds them. Or some are nearly catatonic with depression. One man acts normal despite the steak knife he's driven into his belly. Oh hi, what can I do for you folks? The team brings loads of pexin. One woman who tried to set her house on fire tells Maggie, don't give me drugs. I don't ever do drugs. This is like aspirin. You can trust me. Maggie takes the cross on her necklace out and rests it on the outside of her shirt. The woman swallows the pill down with bottled water. A few minutes later she looks so relieved Maggie tears up. Her team rides in a bus to the next call. Most of her co-workers are retirees, who came out of retirement to help however they can. Luke, a former banker in his 70s, sits next to her. Have you seen that announcement from the government? They're asking for people who saw the media attack and don't have any symptoms. Maggie blinks. This is news to her. Sure, there must be more than one but how does the government know that? How many are there? Does the government see them as a threat? No. 
what do they want with those people? Luke says, the announcement says, help with the war effort. I think they want to make a media weapon to counterattack. I was lucky, I never saw it. How about you? Do you know anyone who might be immune to media weapons? Maggie looks at her wedding band on the hand that holds the seat in front of her. I didn't know there was such a person. The church is nearly empty on Sundays. Where a home falls into disrepair a nutcase probably huddles inside. And everywhere she goes she sees members of her former congregation acting whacked out on the street. They always ask her for help. Come and pray with me. Many of them turn into fanatics who go around wearing rags. Some whip themselves with belts, others starve themselves, and some stand with arms outstretched, shouting prayers up at the sky. Many Christians who didn't see the weapon have become anti-media. The TV is the devil's playground. Fall is coming around and the kids' school won't be opening, not enough staff. No matter where she moves to, finding a job will be easy. The country is starving for workers. She takes Amy and Jeff to live with her parents where the Appalachian snow soothes her. Her father takes Pexin. Her mom homeschools the kids while Maggie works at a small, local clinic. She can take free online training to become a nurse. One of her favorite Christian influencers, Tiffany Shine, comes out with a book called When Jesus Told Me To. It's about her battle with the media attack and how she came to know taking Pexin was what Jesus wanted from her. Maggie drags her finger across her foldable to highlight her favorite parts. We asked for God's help, and he answered with a medicine that returned us to our formal selves. Many among us couldn't carry on without it. Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. Give her medicine. Perhaps she can yet be healed. Medicines aren't drugs. A glass of wine poses more of a danger of luring you away from God. Thank you for listening. My landing page is solomeshan.com. There you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes a timeline and illustrations.